0: Today, on Bread for the Broken, with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Bread for the
1: broken. We're on a mission, and the horizontal is to make disciples, to make disciples. And man, the best way to make disciples is to be a disciple, and have that vertical, strong, and good, and healthy, when it gets off kilter a little bit, fix it, let them straighten that thing out. So that what? So you can go out and make disciples, share the gospel, let people know, because here's what we do know. He's coming back soon. He's
0: coming back soon. How do you join in the Great Commission? by being a disciple of Jesus. You've been commissioned to go into all of the world proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Pastor James reminds us of that in today's message. But in order to go out and make disciples who follow after Jesus, you first have to follow Him. Pastor James explains to you that this means that you first need to be a disciple and a follower after God's own heart. You need to get with Jesus one-on-one throughout the week and pursue who He is. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Amos chapter 9 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. We
2: need bread for the broken Give some bread to the broken We need hope for the hopeless Give some hope to the hopeless, hopeless Bread for the broken, broken
1: Now the Lord has sworn this oath by His own name, the pride of Jacob, the pride of Israel. I will never forget the wicked things you have done. The earth will tremble for your deeds. Everyone will mourn. The ground will rise like the Nile River at flood time. It will heave up and then sink again. In that day, says the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth while it is still day. I will turn your celebrations into times of mourning, your singing into weeping. You will wear funeral clothes and shave your heads to show your sorrow. As if your only son had died how very bitter that day will be. This is what's coming for them. This is also what God has been trying to rescue them from. But part of the rescue mission involves the individual wanting to be rescued. There's this thing where, you know, if you go out to the beach, you're out in the water and you see somebody, if you see somebody who's drowning. It's a very dangerous thing to try to go rescue them you put yourself in a, in a certain amount of danger by trying to rescue somebody who's drowning. Okay? So if you have like a surfboard, you want to put the board in between you and them. Why? Because they're fighting for life, and they're going to try to bring you down too. Not purposefully, but that's just how it is. So you, somebody with the presence of mind has to, in the rescue mission has to know, like, here's a lifesaver. I'm, I'm handing this to you. I need you to grab onto this thing so I can rescue you, so I can pull you out of this mess. And God has stepped into Israel's, their lives constantly and said, here's a lifesaver. I need you to grab hold of this thing so I can rescue you. And they've been like, no, we don't want your rescue. Okay, well then what do you, we don't need to be rescued. You're drowning, you're drowning. No, 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 we're fine. Never been better, never been better. Like God's like, no, you're literally, you're going under, you need rescue. We don't need you. We don't need a rescue. We're fine. Look how good we have it. It's amazing how sometimes the the Old Testament and the New Testament, and then even the day and age in which we live today parallel each other. There's a lot of people, even within the church, who are like, fine, we're fine, we're fine, we're good, everything's good, everything's good, everything's good as they're going down, going down, going down. again, that's that it always brings you back to that plumb line thing. Just like, well, wait a minute. God's saying, if God's saying there's a problem there, then the smartest thing to do would be like, okay, I'll take whatever rescue line you throw out. Because I trust in God's wisdom. Proverbs, again, Proverbs chapter 3. We don't lean on our own understanding. You can't lean on your own understanding. Trust God in his, his infinite wisdom. But here he's, he's letting them know this is what's going to come, this is what's happening. The time is surely coming. Verse 11 says, the sovereign Lord, when I will send famine on the land. Not a famine of bread or water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Woof. He's going to take away his word. Maybe to you and I, that matters. It hits a different level. But for ones who ignore his word, they'd be like, what? Oh, come on. It's silly. They probably wouldn't even notice, to be honest. And that's a good indicator within our lives as well, our personal devo times and all that stuff is when you don't even notice that you haven't been in the Word for a while, that should like strike you to the core. be like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Oh, God, I, I'm sorry. I need, to, I need to get back to your Word. I need to get back into your Word. I know we go through seasons and all that stuff. I'm not asking you to check boxes every single day, Reddit, check, Reddit, check, Reddit, check. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying we constantly need, need to be checking our temperatures, so to speak. Okay, where am I at? And even there's been times, look, I'll be honest with you, there's been times where I have read the word that day and it's made no effect on me at all. And I've just walked away and I'm like, oh, I think I'm in a worse attitude now, right? But then that reminds me too of like, okay, I got to go back to the Lord. Lord, I'm sorry. Maybe I just need to spend some time just sitting silently at your feet. I, yeah, I'm going to get back into the word, but right, I'm, everything I'm reading, it's just, I'm not getting it. So I just need to spend time at your feet. But they, he's going to take his word away from them a famine of his word. It says, the people will stagger from sea to sea and wander from border to border, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Beautiful girls and strong young men will grow faint in that day, thirsting for the Lord's word. Why? Because man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from his mouth, from the word of God. And those who swear by the shameful idols of Samaria, who take oaths in the name of the God of Dan, who make vows in the name of the God of Beersheba, they will fall down never to rise again. God's like, I'm gonna take my word, and, this, and, and all, everything that you place your hope and trust into, it's all going away. It's all going away. There's one you can place your, your faith, hope, and trust in. His name is Jesus. He's the Alpha, the Omega, beginning and the end. He's forever. Forever, forever. There's nothing that can take Jesus down. He's the best. Place your faith, your hope, your trust into the one who never changes. These guys are gonna learn a lesson real quick of you put your hope and trust into these carved images that you made or somebody else made, they're all gonna be destroyed. And then this last vision, chapter nine. Then I saw a vision of the Lord standing beside the altar. He said. Strike the tops of the temple columns so that the foundation will shake, bringing down the roof on the heads of the people below. I will kill with the sword those who survive. No one will escape. You're like, yikes. I think he's serious about this. I don't know. Are you guys reading that too? You'd see the seriousness of that? Yeah, it sounds pretty bad. Please note that this is probably the temple in the northern tribes, OK? I don't believe he's speaking about the temple in Jerusalem. I believe because of the context of this letter and that Amos was a prophet to the northern tribes in Israel, the 10 northern tribes, that this is a reference to their altar that quote unquote was made for him. It says, even if they dig down to the place of the dead, Sheol, right? Like if you're going to dig down to Sheol, I would reach down and pull them up. That's pretty terrifying, right? You're like, you're trying to hide from God? Oh yeah, dig as far as you want to. He's going to reach his hand in there and pull you out, like a rabbit out of a magician's hat, right? He just reaches down, boom. Oh, you thought you can get away. You can't outrun God. You can't outrun him. You can't outhide God. Adam and Eve taught us that, right? Go Always go back to the Genesis. The, yeah, you can't win at hide and seek with God. You can't. He knows everything. He's everywhere. He's like, oh, you want to, okay. So going down to, to Sheol, that's, you're not going to hide there. Okay, what if you climb up into the heavens? I I just imagine these people with their reason and their logic and understanding of like, okay, so we probably can't dig down, but I bet we could get away from him if we go up high, right? You're like, really? This is your game plan, right? Like, this is your game plan. Yeah, let's just climb a really high mountain, and then he won't find us. Then he won't find us. But this is what we do in our lives. Like this, he's using these this imagery that's totally absurd. But yet, how many times have I done that in my life? Where I think like, okay, well, maybe, maybe he didn't see that. Maybe he didn't hear that, <laughs> right? They're like, no, he did. He did. He's God. That's just who he is. He sees all, knows all, and uh, is aware of all things. And again, I think I've referenced this before. You know, like when you're watching the scary movies, you pull the blankets over your head, no bad guy is ever going to find you, right? Because why? Because I got the blanket over my head. Like, they can't see me. It's impossible, right? That was my logic as a child. Doesn't make any sense. There have been times when I've come home, and my kids, even to this day, all teenagers, right? They like to do this thing. Well, they'll they'll hide on they'll be on the couch and they'll cover themselves with blankets as if they're hiding from me, right? And as if I don't see these massive, you know, body lumps on the couch, (laughs) you know, feet here and all that good stuff and squirming because nobody in my family can sit still for too long. But I walk in and I know right away where they're at. They're not trying to hide from me, but they're playing a game with me, and it's funny because I see that and I'm like, man, Lord, I do that so much with you, and it's pretty silly, right? It's pretty silly. Like, you can't, you, what, you're going to go up to the heavens? He's like, I'll bring them back down. I'll bring them down. They climb up to the heavens. I will bring them down. Verse 3, even if they hide at the very top of Mount Carmel, if they go up to that, that's not a high mountain at all. It's not even a mountain. It's like a hill. It's like, a, it's a hilltop is what it is, but it's overlooking Megiddo, and it's a cool little area, but he's like, even if you go up there, I'm going to search you out and find you. He says, I'll search you out and capture you. Even if they hide at the bottom of the ocean, I like this part, I will send a sea serpent after them to bite them. <laughs> this is amazing, right? Like, oh, uh, can we, I think we need more verses like this, right? Like, that's cool, Um I mean, again, if you're gonna give me anything for Christmas, give, find me a coffee mug that has that verse on there, right? Like it's got like a snake coming out or something. That's amazing. Like God's like, oh, you, oh, you're gonna hide at the bottom of the sea? Okay, yeah. Well, okay, I'm gonna send a serpent to get you. You know, uh, some sort of sea creature, sea serpent down there to to bite them. It's amazing. I, uh, it's just, I love the Bible so much. And uh, this is part of it right there. Man, that's, it's a whole different kind of shark week. When I see that, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. All right, but okay, side note. Um, not all, you know, if you've been bitten by an animal, it's not because God's trying to get you. Okay, like, can I, let me say that, because you might take that away from this verse, and that's the wrong, that's the wrong application to the verse. Um, you may have gotten bit by an animal because, well, they just bit you, right? That's just how that works sometimes. But these are people trying to run away from God, and God's like, oh, I know how to get you. You can't run away from me. You cannot run away from me. A prophet who was like somewhat of a contemporary of Amos lived this out. His name was Jonah. He tried to run away from God. And he even told those sailors, he's like, look, just throw me into the sea. Just get rid of me. It's fine. He's after me. He's after me. I'm sorry I brought all this on to you, but he's really after me. So just throw me overboard and everything will be fine. They're like, we're not going to throw you overboard. That's crazy. Until they couldn't fight the storm anymore. And they're like, all right, chunk them, right? Like, get them out of here. Like, okay, adios, Jonah, right? Like, bye. Um, but then what? God prepared a fish to swallow Jonah. And he took him to the bottom of the sea. He took him down there and taught him a really good lesson. So like, you can't run from me. You can't run from me. And then, look, that's, that's both a, can be a, a, a frightening thing, but that's going to also, and should be a comforting thing for you and I. In our relationship with God, you can't run away from him. He knows how to get you. And it's not even like he's just chasing you with like the naughty spoon, right? Or like the paddle, whatever you use in your family, if you do that. But sometimes he's chasing you down to like, to embrace you as a loving heavenly father. And we're just running. He's going to get me. He's going to get me. Yeah, maybe, but what if he just wants you to stop so he can embrace you? There's a story of a man who lived uh, in South America. I've I've shared this illustration before, but he grew up in an affluent family, had money and all that good stuff, but he wasn't aware of that. And he ended up making some poor decisions within his life, ended up on the streets, homeless, drug addiction, all that good stuff. One day, the last surviving member of his family, not counting himself, had passed away. So the, the fortune that was amassed now belong to him. But he's living on the streets. So the police officers, they know him. They're like, we'll go find him. We'll go get him. And we'll tell him this good news. You're rich. You're rich. You don't, have to, you don't have to live on the streets anymore. All that money is yours. You are incredibly wealthy now. But this guy had been so conditioned because of his choices and his lifestyle, he saw the cops come and he ran. He ran and they never found him. They never found him. He just booked it because he's like, I'm in trouble. They're coming after me. I must have done something wrong or whatever. But out of fear, he ran away, leaving behind a fortune. And they were just there to show up with the good news, to say, you don't have to live this way anymore. And I think sometimes God's pursuing us, saying, you don't have to live this way anymore. But in our natural state, we run. We just run. Look, God knows how to chase us down if we're doing something wrong. But He also knows how to chase us down when He just wants to love us. It's amazing. And I know you got a prodigal story, you know, too, where the person runs back. But what does God do? Pictured as the Father in that story, He runs to the Son, which is completely an undignified thing for a Jewish man to do in that day. He's letting his people know. He's like, I, you can't run from me. And he's not running to track these guys down so he can give them a hug. <laughs> he's like, you've been, you've been spitting in my face for years now. And there's, there's a consequence for that. But uh, throughout this whole thing, all they had to do is turn back to him. That's all they had to do. They just had to turn back to him. That's all they had to do. OK? He says, even if they're, verse 4, their enemies drive them into exile, I will command the sword to kill them there. I am determined to bring disaster upon them and not to help them. The Lord's like, I'm determined to teach them a lesson. The Lord of heaven's armies touches the land, and it melts, and all its people mourn. The ground rises up like the Nile River at flood time, and then it sinks again. The Lord's home reaches up to the heavens while its foundation is on earth. He draws up water from the oceans and pours it down on, as rain on the land. The Lord is his name like he's powerful, powerful. He says, are you Israelites more important to me than the Ethiopians, asked the Lord. I brought Israel out of Egypt, but I also brought the Philistines from Crete and led the Armenians out from Kir. I, the sovereign Lord, am watching this sinful nation of Israel. I will destroy it from the face of the earth, but I will never completely destroy the family of Israel, says the Lord. For I will give the command and will shake Israel along with other nations as grain is shaken through the sieve. Yet not one true kernel will be lost. True kernel will be lost. Not one. But all the sinners will die by the sword. All those who say nothing bad will happen to us. We're Israelites. We're good. We're chosen. God's like, well, yeah. (laughs) And some of you will last, but others are not. It says, in that day, I will restore the fallen house of David. I will repair its damaged walls. From the ruins, I will rebuild it and restore its former glory. And Israel will possess what is left in Edom and all the nations I have called to be mine. The Lord has spoken, and he will do these things. This is Amos, who's like a shepherd, and he's just bringing it. He's like, here it is. Not even just like, I mean, this is like a kind of an immediate prophecy, meaning it would be fulfilled in their time period, but also has a future fulfillment too. It's amazing, amazing, amazing stuff that's going on there. And in fact, I'm going to, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read from the book of Acts because this prophecy is referenced in Acts. Acts chapter 15, I believe it is. 15 verses 16 through 18. This is James who stands up. It says, when they had finished, James stood and said, brothers, listen to me. Peter has told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for himself, including the Gentiles, into the whole thing. Beautiful, beautiful. And this conversion of Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted. As it is written, "'Afterward, I will return and restore the fallen house of David. I will rebuild its ruins and restore it so that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles. All those I've called to be mine, the Lord has spoken.'" he who who made these things known so long ago. So there they are. They're having a little little meeting there in Jerusalem. And James is like, oh, you know what's going on? Amos chapter 9. He's like, what God spoke in Amos is happening. It's coming true. Verse 13 of back in Amos 9. The time will come, says the Lord, when the grain and grapes will grow faster than they can be harvested. Then the terraced vineyards on the hills of Israel will will drip with sweet wine. I will bring my exiled people of Israel back from distant lands. I think that's happened. Has it happened? That seems like that's happened, right? It's kind of in the process of it. 1948, like, oh, they became a nation again. When in history has that ever happened? It hasn't ever before. A nation that was then was not becomes that same nation again. That's never happened in human history. Seems like something only God can do. And if you go over to Israel, you'll see that people are coming back there like crazy. It's amazing, beautiful. It so says, they will rebuild their ruined cities. They're doing that. And they will live in them again, doing that too. They will plant vineyards and gardens. And they will eat their crops and drink their wine. I will firmly plant them there in their own land. They will never again be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord God. So God's like, look, here's the deal. You've been naughty. You're going to go away for a little bit. You're going to go in timeout for about 70 years. You're going to learn your lesson. You're going to come back. You're going to rebuild. Oh, and then there's future stuff, too, that these guys would never even be able to comprehend of what's going to happen to the nation of Israel within our recent history. But God's like, I will never give up on you, Israel. Though you've given up on me many times, I will never give up on you. And there will always be a remnant that remains always be a remnant that remains. Oh and in the end, you'll experience prosperity you can't even dream about. God knows how to rescue his people. Yes to the Israelites because he is not done with Israel yet. Just so you know. He's not done with them yet. And he knows when how to rescue those guys. And his word stands true. His word stands true. We've seen it fulfilled. We know that any future prophecies that were written within this, even in the book of Amos, we know, we trust, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. So then what do we do in the meantime? We learn lessons from these beautiful books. We say, Lord, drop that plumb line in my life. Where am I at with you? Am I, is the vertical good, Lord? If I'm honest within the, you know, the tendency of, of the flesh that I battle with, it just always wants to go contrary to what God says. I don't know why it is, Lord. And, and that diminishes, I, I think, a little bit as you get older and grow in your relationship with the Lord. But it never goes away fully because this is a battle we're in. But Lord, I want to be smart. I want to be wise. Lord, test me and see where I'm at. And if I'm off a little bit, then, then help me to know to make that correction. And I want that horizontal to be good. Because for us right now in this, this church age that we live in, We're on a mission. We're on a mission. And the horizontal is to make disciples. To make disciples. And man, the best way to make disciples is to be a disciple and have that vertical strong and good and healthy. When it gets off kilter a little bit, fix it. Let them straighten that thing out so that what? So you can go out and make disciples, share the gospel let people know. Because here's what we do know. He's coming back soon. He's coming back soon. So let's, we, I want to be ready for that. But being ready for that means that I, I want to share that with people. I want to share that with people. I want to let people know, man, He is coming back. But you know what? He loves you. In fact, His Word says that He loved you so much that He sent His Son to die on the cross for you and for me. That he rose from the grave three days later, conquering sin and death, and he came to set the captives free. Everything we see in the Old Testament concerning the Messiah, he is that. And we get to share this beautiful message of hope to people who are scrambling around trying to find hope within this world we live in. So we learn lessons from Amos. I hope Amos, whether you've been with us for the whole time that we've taught through the book of Amos, which wasn't long at all, but maybe I've encouraged you to go back to chapter 1. But these characters that the Lord used to, to write these prophecies and these books and all that good stuff with her personality and all that stuff, it's just beautiful, man. It's amazing. And all of it speaks to us today. Anytime you ever hear somebody say that the Old Testament is irrelevant to today, you say, please. Please, throw that mindset into the garbage. Because the Old Testament is just as relevant to us today as it was when it was written to these guys. There's so many good lessons that we can learn from the Old Testament.
0: Compassionate and loving are just a few descriptions of God. Did you know that in the Minor Prophets, He's also described as just? Israel and Judah thumbed their noses at God by making Him unimportant in their lives. They gave into their own desires, did what they wanted, and despaired in tough situations. All of this caused them to forget God as their protector and provider. Why is it so easy to do those things that, in the long run, aren't good for us? More than I care to admit, I see myself doing those same things, over and over. God was patient with them, and He's patient with me. But there comes a point when a reality check is needed. Jesus draws the line between white and black, wrong and right, judging actions and motives. Thankfully, He doesn't leave us in that rotten state. He offers us forgiveness and hope. You've been listening to Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James has been teaching through a series called Major Messages from the Minor Prophets. Each message professed by the prophets reveals his abundant patience, his faithfulness, and also his justice. If you missed one or more of these teachings, I encourage you to go back and listen to them again at breadforthebroken.com. Just click on the Listen tab. We'd love for you to come join us each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Our prayer is that you're encouraged and rest in the confidence that Jesus will right every wrong. Be sure to tune in next time as Pastor James continues here on Bread for the Broken
2: to you